This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Dumable. And I'm Yannick Rand. And what's our topic tonight, Yannick? Video editing. Huh, interesting. Yeah. But before we start, I think we have some follow-up. We do, we do. Um, during a tangent on the last episode about Pokemon Go, I compared my worry that Pokemon Go would become the primary focus of the Pokemon franchise to the Metal Gear series, which more or less has become a slot machine franchise. Um, and that Konami wasn't making more Metal Gear games because Kojima isn't at the company anymore. But funnily enough, two days after we recorded the episode and a few days before we released the episode, Konami was at Gamescom and announced a new Metal Gear game, which is not a slot machine, and it is an actual real video game called Metal Gear Survive. And it doesn't look very good, but it technically means that what I said on the episode was not true anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right, it doesn't look very good. It seems to me kind of, uh, I, th- I think the best way of putting it is kind of a, a poor rendering or a poor copy of Resident Evil 4. I don't know. I The way I read the marketing materials for it made it sound sort of like a cross between Metal Gear Online, which is very, very loved. Um, mm-hmm. Like Metal Gear Online was a very successful online game. A cross between that and Call of Duty Zombies, <laughs> which is also very successful. So it could turn out to be really great, except I have no idea what team is working on this game. And that worries me greatly because it's not Kojima's team. And they are responsible for the big AAA console games that Konami put out. And the non-AAA ones, as much as I hate to say it, the ones that aren't music games, they turn out to be pretty bad generally, <laughs> especially like since the PlayStation 2 era. Oh, and you'll be happy to hear that I heard that Ubisoft is working on this game. Troll! Oh, Jesus troll, Christ. Troll. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> fuck this game. I don't want to hear anything more about it. Okay, uh, next item on your list? Yeah, um, this is, once again, mobile payments follow-up, except it is mobile payments follow-up I have been looking for for a really, really long time, which is Bloomberg has reported on a rumor that Apple may be working to integrate Sony's Felica technology, which we discussed in depth on that episode, uh, in the next iPhone. Um, now, depending on when you're listening to this, you may already know if the new iPhone has uh, Felica or not. But basically, this would enable cross-compatibility with basically any of the mobile payment services that are in wide use in Japan. Uh, this includes, well, this doesn't guarantee that it'll be used for these, but it could include a mobile Suica, which is using your cell phone to get on and off uh, transit, or you could use it for mobile payments using something like Eddie or I guess technically Suica or Pasmo could do the job as well. Um, and because Japan has basically reached the final stages of their massive transit card interoperability program, if they decide to support Mobile Suica, which is probably the likeliest, it's either going to be Pasmo or Mobile Suica um, because it's what's used in the Tokyo metropolitan area. If they support that, they are technically cross-compatible with the rest of public transit in Japan, basically, with a few exceptions here or there. So it would be a huge, huge win for Apple Pay, because having those technologies on board would basically guarantee you could use it everywhere in Japan. And that is a market that really loves their iPhones. Hmm, that's nice. And I think I'll reiterate that statement, but it is officially Limipo's topic that will never die. Oh, definitely. Like, mobile payments is one of the reasons that I was very, very excited about starting this podcast. And it's why it was a very early episode of this podcast. And now we literally can't shut up about it. And luckily, 
I know a few of our fans really, really, really love mobile payment technologies from Japan, so they must be really happy, but everyone else must hate us. That's okay. That's okay. I think you have also something else on your list. Yeah, so this,、uh, this is something a little special.、Uh, on episode five, we talked about streaming music services. And one of the worries we had on that episode was that we'd reached a, we would reach a similar situation to what we have in streaming video, where music services would have their own original music or exclusive content. And the only way you could get all of the music you like from the artists you enjoy would be to join multiple streaming services. And we could make the case that,、um, thanks to artists on Tidal and other things like that,、um, we are already there. But one other thing that I mentioned on in a future episode when we were talking about Apple Music is I didn't think Apple Music was really built in a way that was、um, ready for the future of music. Like, how important are record labels in the future of music distribution? Why can't you just distribute directly through a streaming service or directly to iTunes as an individual,、uh, like you can on Bandcamp or stuff like this? Well, Frank Ocean is an artist I have literally never heard about. Please don't sue me.、Um, but apparently, he's a big deal. I mean, like, there's a Kanye West song on it, friend of the show, Kanye West.、Um, oh、he wrote、oh. a fantastic poem about McDonald's,、oh. uh, which will be <laughs> in the show I, notes. If we do a small tangent, I think when、uh, you link it to me, I was like, oh my God, go read it. I was like, oh no, I don't want to read it. And then I read it. And then I cried. And then you <laughs> laughed. And then I cried. And then I think I. Kill line and never open it for the rest of the day. day. Anyways,、uh, there's going to be a ton of Kanye West related links in the, in the show notes.、Um, but、mm. anyway,、uh, yeah, so his latest album, Blonde, was released exclusively and directly to Apple Music without the involvement of a record label.、Um, but it's also sort of a middle finger to his record label because literally the day before this album came out, he released his last contract- contractual obligation on Def Jam Records. An album called Endless, which is also an Apple Music exclusive. So, Apple Music must have known all along that he was basically going to release two albums in two days one on his record label and the actual work that is good, <laughs> basically, directly through Apple Music on the next day. So, there is a really, really interesting、uh, New York Times article about this that I'm going to put in the show notes. You can go read about the drama because basically the music industry is freaking the fuck out. Like, they don't know what just happened. And they are very worried that record labels may be cut out entirely of the equation, which they probably should, honestly.、Um, and、uh, yeah, so a really entertaining read over on the New York Times. I think you have some follow up too. Yeah, and it's a follow up that has created itself the day after we released the episode. As usual. As usual. But、um, in the last episode regarding、uh, Pokemon Go,、uh, especially Yannick,、uh, but Yannick and、uh, also. Small portion of this worry was、uh, by myself too, but we worried that、uh, Pokemon Go we might see some、uh, like shrinking numbers in the coming weeks. I didn't take that long, sadly.、Uh, Bloomberg is reporting from a report from Axiom Capital Management that, according to their metrics, they're already showing some signs of decline. And、uh, The gist of it is, according to their some kind of trend、uh, analytics stuff, it's obviously all of those like data is kind of weird and you don't know where it came from and all, you don't know how they can、uh, get those numbers. But from what they're seeing, is they're seeing, seeing a slight、uh, downward trend and they do hope that it will kind of 
fix themselves, but they think like, oh my god, I think the phenomenon of, of Pokemon Go is already on its decline. Rip. Indeed. Want to talk about some video editing? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I guess? Yeah, like, I think when we talk about the... When you mentioned the topic, I remembered it was movies. And then you said, oh, I want to talk about Final Cut and iMovie. And now it's like a video editing. So it's... Well, yeah. So once again, let's remind people of what exactly I'm doing here. Uh, It's a three-part series on the digital hub strategy, which is Steve Jobs came down from the heavens and said, (laughs) the Mac is going to be the center of your digital lifestyle. And that means all of your multimedia is going to live on your Mac. And it's going to take in all of these inputs and then help you produce actual content out of those inputs that helps you basically like remember stuff that you did (laughs) that was a terrible explanation obviously steve jobs is a better salesman than i am um but yeah so this week uh, well last uh two episodes ago we focused on photography and photo management and i thought that the next thing we should focus on is video because music still has some time to change because we are going to be upgrading to iOS 10 in the coming weeks, so the stuff might change. Um, but yeah, so in the meantime, we are talking about video editing software, and we are not really going to talk about iDVD. Sorry, iDVD, rip oh, iDVD. Oh, come on. Come on. Um, that was my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about iDVD because DVDs are dead. CDs, okay, okay. however, it's are It's time booming. for me to go. Sorry. It's time for me to go. Rip no iDVD, I'm gone. Okay. Um, so I'm going to split this up into three parts, I guess. Uh, I'm going to go through a quick history of Apple's video editing software. Um, it has a big history. It has a very interesting history. Um, it may sound a little familiar if you read my blog on Tumblr like ages ago when I used to blog on Tumblr because I wrote a big ass post, uh, where I went through the history of Apple's software. So I'm mostly going to be rehashing that. Um, Then we're going to talk about the current state of things. Uh, That article was written in 2011, almost exactly six years ago, uh, five years ago uh, this week. So we are going to be taking a look at what changed since then. And let's be honest, it's not much. Um, And talk about basically how we use the video editing software, if we do. (laughs) And video distribution and all that stuff. So I'm going to jump right in here. iMovie came out when I was about eight years old. Um, iMovie was one of the big selling features of the iMac DV, which was the line of iMacs that had FireWire ports. Uh, FireWire, if you are not aware because you are a young person, is the port that we used for digital camcorders back in those days. Um, and, and it's yeah. a, maybe if I could go on a small tangent regarding FireWire, something that always surprised me, it was kind of, uh, one of those ports that was kind of, uh, it was a standard created by Apple, if I recall correctly. Yep. And it kind of, in its own time, kind of were supported by the video industry and was rare because it was a video standard at that point. Like, you can imagine that all of the small like, cam- digital camcorders had either like a, the mini USB version of Firewire and they were kind of camera manufacturer were hinting at you that you should not use usb because usb is bad for video that you should use the like a 20 dollars mini firewire cable to make sure that it's fast and blah 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 and blah, blah, blah. but it was st- and it's just surprising to me that it was able to get so much market share in the video sector yeah i mean it really helped that it came standard on max for a really long time 
Uh, so basically, if you were a Mac user, you had a huge advantage when it came to digital video uh, importing and all that stuff. Um, it also sort of bothers me how much PC users hate FireWire just because it's another standard that is not USB. Like, at the time, if you compared USB 1, which is what was on PCs at, when FireWire was there, like, you really, really didn't want to use USB 1 for anything, basically, other than basic input peripherals like a mouse and keyboard. Um, like floppy disks, okay, because floppy disks were never really super fast, maybe CD drives, but like you really didn't want to do anything intense over USB at that time. And Firewire was like a godsend. It was several times faster than USB and it was a noticeable difference. And lots of PC users either lamented the fact that they had to get a Firewire card because PC motherboards ship with basically no good ports <laughs> or, um, that they had to use USB and they sort of just hate FireWire because Apple made it in sort of an irrational way. Um, and like people still look back on FireWire and say like FireWire was fucking stupid. Thunderbolt is fucking stupid. There are stuff that Apple came up with. They're probably better than what was made at the time that they were conceived, but nobody wants to admit that in the PC world, which sucks. Um, but what do you expect? Yeah, I'm surprised to see what people will say in like 10, 15 years about USB-C, especially since the rumors kind of entered at uh, Apple being kind of the uh, father of USB-C. Yeah, and especially now with Intel trying to tout USB-C as a replacement, possible replacement for the headphone jack, I was very curious to see if hardcore USB heads who will defend USB until their death we're going to say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, while simultaneously like saying Apple is fucking stupid for doing it with the lightning cable, basically. Um, so we'll see about that. Uh, it's always good to have a nice little tangent on PC users looking at Apple <laughs> technologies because they don't really seem to get it ever. Um, okay, so back to iMovie. Um, iMovie was originally exclusive to the iMacs, which bothered me because we had a Power Mac G4. Um, but eventually, I think about a year later, uh, Apple made it downloadable on their website. So anybody could go grab um, iMovie on the website. If you had a PowerBook G3 or a Power Mac G4, you had a strong enough machine to run it and you could just go download it. I think this was still on OS 9, by the way. Um, oh, wow. You could, okay. You could download it on iDisk, too. You can mount iDisk. And one of the weird things about iDisk back in the day, do you remember iDisk? Um, I do not. I do not. Don't forget that I've like started using Macs around like 10.2-ish, 10 10.3. Okay. So back in the day when Apple cloud services were actually good, um, you could go <laughs> you could go onto an iDisk drive, which is very similar to the idea for iCloud Drive nowadays, except there was an applications folder in there, and in the applications folder was basically a complete mirror of the um, of the Apple Downloads page, which lived for quite a long time. I mean, we were still in school, and it was still running. Um, there Ooh, was this I page. Didn't know that. That's yeah. really useful. Yeah, so you could just copy installers out of the iDisk onto your desktop and you didn't have to go through a web browser to go onto the Apple website. You could just copy installers for either demos of software or just like updaters for popular software right onto your desktop. Uh, I remember doing this with Maya because Maya was, uh, Maya is the 3D uh, design suite and they had an educational edition and the easiest way to go download it on the Mac without having to sign up for a billion accounts and 
email stuff was to just go to iDesk and drag the installer onto your desktop. So that was pretty cool. Do you know if it if uh, all of those iDrive installer, uh, iDesk, sorry, installer were kind of maybe optimized in the OS or in Apple's network to be downloaded way faster than compared to somebody going to their website and just grabbing it from the download space on the website? Or it was about the same speed, the same, same limitation, if you see where I'm going with this. Honestly, I think it's about the same because as far as I know, uh, iDisk was always web dev and basically it's HTTP. It's no real difference than if you're going through um, the so website. The, yeah, so the only defense is you don't need to launch another app. You just open Finder, go to iDisk and voila, it's yeah. there. Hmm. Good so it's, it's just like a network drive and it's there, but it's secretly using HTTP under the scenes. And it was pretty cool. Um, it didn't last very long, but... It it was cool while it was there. It was a neat novelty at the time. Hey, um, and you, you know now we have the Mac App Store. Oh, jeez. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the Mac App Store this episode. <laughs> I don't have the energy for this. Okay, <laughs> back to iMovie. Yeah, so iMovie, it was actually really, really fun to use originally. Um, looking back at it nowadays, it looks incredibly dated because it is very much tied to the pinstripe look of the iMacs at the time, especially the early, early versions they are sort of nauseating to look at these days. Um, but it was a joy to use. Um, my dad had a digital camera. It was some Nikon Coolpix. I don't remember exactly the model number, but it's not really important. And you could take videos in 640 by 40 up to 40 seconds. Might have been 320 by 240 for 40 seconds. And then only like 20 seconds at 640 40. It was some arcane limit. Um, but my neighbor and I uh, would occasionally get together and just like storyboard out little movies in 40 second chunks um, that we would record on his camera and then we would edit them together in time movie. And then we would burn it to VCD with Roxio Toast. Um, so VCD, for those of you who are young. <laughs> oh my goodness, we sound so old. Is basically like the really shitty... Asian version of a DVD where um, basically it was a format that was mostly used for pirated movies or like really low budget releases of movies. Like I, I know they were, there were lots of official VCD releases of movies in Asia, which is why VCD players were, are so rampant there. And even if you go to like Chinatown in New York nowadays, there are lots of people just playing VCDs on televisions all over the place of like Michael Jackson uh, farewell concert. I don't know why I remember this, but I distinctly remember being in Chinatown eating noodles with a friend and there was the fucking Michael Jackson <laughs> concert in the background on VCD player. Um, yeah, and after through it, you need to change CD because the CD was full and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you could get, I think, like a half hour of video per VCD. That sounds about right. Um, so one of the crowning achievements of iMovie is it was easy enough for a nine-year-old to figure out how to edit video. Um, if you compare the other video editing suites at the time, Premiere, Avid, all that stuff, it wasn't really stuff that was accessible. I mean, like, you could play around with it. Honestly, uh, I, I played around with demos of all of this stuff because we had, like, all of the Mac Magazine CDs lying around the house. So I, I basically had nothing to do all day during the summer except play every single... play with every single piece of software on those discs. Um, and I really didn't like the user interface for all of those. Honestly, the thing that was the most fun was After Effects, which 
like my friends nowadays have tons of fun in After Effects making crazy shit. Um, but back in the day, it was basically like you can do a smooth crossfade between two clips and it's a huge feat. Um, so yeah, now I feel really old. Um, but it was pretty mind blowing to me as a kid that I could do stuff that was like community television level of quality. Um, like it wasn't impressive like broadcast television but it still was on par if not better than the shitty community television stations that you can watch on cable sometimes here um so i want to talk a little bit about the two views that iMovie had um because this was something a little different that they did it was sort of an innovation at the time that they did this they had a clip view which let you basically grab your clips and order them like just by dragging and dropping clips along a strip and there was a timeline view and the the idea for the timeline view is that clips would be proportional basically to their amount of time the amount of time that they take um so this would allow you to basically do some precision editing and just like put your audio clips right next to the thing that like if you want to put a sound effect when someone opens the door or something you can just drag that clip right up to where it happens on your clip and it works um, but you can't really do that in clip view because clip view is really just here is the storyboard structure of the video, basically. Um, and this made it really, really simple because clip view basically said, okay, you can import your videos from the camera. You can drag your clips into order. You can drag transitions between the clips and you've basically finished the thing if you don't want to add any audio or anything. So it was really, really quick to make a movie and you could spend like an afternoon making it really fancy if you wanted to but you didn't have to you could just literally just drag stuff into the clip view drag transitions boom we've got a video in like 15 minutes so that was cool i think the iMovie really was the pioneering video editing software for newcomers to digital video and i think that was the design goal basically for iMovie all along um, if you got back from a trip and wanted to put together a five to 10 minute video showing your vacation and share it with friends, it was impossible to do it in 20 to 30 minutes in any video editor at the time. No, and I think iMovie was there right at the right moment, meaning that you wanted to do a five to 10 minute video. It took you five to 10 minutes to do it. Maybe not in the first like few times you play with the software, but I'm sure that after maybe like doing one of those like maybe like two or three five to ten minute video, you knew all of the tricks, all of yep. the main tricks. Let's put it this way. So it was really easy to get a nice video and get something that, in some cases, look quite professional. And it was not obviously like, like super professional, but you could impress your family and your friends, and like you said, burn it to a VCD or even a DVD later and share with them and they will be able to play it in the DVD player and all of those things and they wouldn't know that you made it in like 10 to 15 minutes. Now the problem is when I said 10 to 15 minutes, I was embellishing because one of the things that a lot of <laughs> old-time iMovie users may remember is, um, well, first of all, the ingesting time for video took forever because it was basically, I think it was still a factor uh of how much footage you had recorded. So it wasn't real time. I think it was a little bit faster than that. I don't really have that much experience with real DV camcorders on iMovie since I was always using digital camera clips. Um, but I think it was like 2X or 4X. But we did have DV cams in high school. 
and I think yeah I think they were because uh, if you were able to use the kind of uh, live recording feature of iMovie 6 where you just plug in the camera put it on the tripod and press record and it like just go through from the camera to iMovie directly yeah you could do that too um, but if you had pre-recorded content I think the import was like maybe 2x or 4x of the actual footage you had recorded originally oh yeah 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 okay I get to your point that's what I meant. So there was that. But it was still, like, if you had a lot of footage, it would take a lot of time. Then every single effect you drew in, you basically had to factor in maybe two or three minutes of render time, minimum. And, oh, of minimum. course, every single tweak that you did would cause that render time to happen again because they would have to re-render it. You would also have, anytime you click the preview button, uh, you would have a smaller but still lengthy um re-render period because it was trying to render the preview and it, even though it was doing it at a lower resolution it still had to actually do the job and then you had to export your video and all of that took a crazy amount of time so really it wasn't a 10 to 15 minute editing process it was if you embellish all of that stuff out of your mind when remembering how iMovie worked back then but in practice you took the entire afternoon and, and, yeah, and I would say that it was still like 10 to 15 minutes of real work. It's just that you, pen, you spend two hours in the same afternoon to just wait and grab yeah. coffee, do other things around the house because you were waiting for the computer to just chew up all of those files and transition. Definitely. So at a certain point, um, Steve Jobs basically said, this is taking too fucking long. And one of the things they did is they started doing live rendering. But the other thing they did is they radically changed the user interface. Um, so Rest in peace, iMovie 6. <laughs> right. So we're going to talk about like the, the big shift in iMovie's user interface, and that is iMovie 08. So iMovie 08, funnily enough, uh, was not actually meant to be iMovie at all. Um, and this is like the plot twist where stuff people's minds get blown. Dun, um, dun, dun. Yeah. iMovie 08 was originally called First Cut. And that was an application that would let video editors quickly organize their content, put together a rough cut, and then they could take that rough cut and import it into Final Cut for the final edits. And they basically wrote that app and it became iMovie because it turned out to basically produce similar results to iMovie and it was a much, much faster workflow. Um, the problem, of course, is it was a radical departure from what users were expecting. Uh, if you were used to the old iMovie workflow, um, it was very simple, but it was time-consuming to do complex stuff. And what iMovie 08 allowed you to do is do that same complex stuff you wanted to do much, much faster by complexifying the the user interface a tiny bit. Uh, it's not as bad as people said it was, but if you were coming from the other iMovie, there was little knowledge that you could actually transfer over, um, which is sort of an issue. But by getting the benefit of really taking you like 10 to 15 minutes to edit a 10 to 15 minutes video. Right. And um, a lot of people said, okay, uh, Apple's abandoning timeline-based video editing for good, so we better get used to not having that. And eventually they added back some of the timeline-based stuff to actually make stuff like dealing with audio a lot easier. The example I mentioned earlier was basically, I, I don't want to say impossible, but it was very, very convoluted to basically add like 
precise timing sound effects in that specific version of my movie. Like, I'm sugarcoating it because I have deep love for this version, but there were some things that were just very, very complicated to do. Um, So its launch may sound very similar to another video editing app that Apple would put out uh, called Final Cut Pro X. Um, It was lacking a handful of features uh, that were really important. Audio editing, like I said, and uh, it, since it abandoned timeline editing, people were very, very confused. And it's hard to sell people on relearning how to use your application when, at least at a first glance, it's capable of doing much less. And that's something we would also hear from in other apps that Apple had released uh, s- since those days. For example, iWork. Um, a couple of years ago, they redid iWork completely to have feature parity between the Mac and the iPad. And instead of making the iPad version have feature parity with a Mac, they basically said, screw this, we're removing a bunch of features from the Mac version to make it more like the iPad version. And people were very, very angry that they had to basically relearn how to use this app. Oh, and by the way, some features you may or may not depend on are gone. Um, and we had an episode about that. I, I can't remember what it's called, but we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and also they also said the big uh, middle finger because your document can be can no longer be open with recent version of iWork because why not? Yeah, that was, be... that was like the cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't forget to keep an old install of uh, iWork OA to make sure that you can like transition your old 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 file from the previous 08 format to the 08 format, and then using the latest version of Pages, for example, you can migrate it to the new format. That was just a pain. Okay, um, I want to talk some more about iMovie before we talk about Final Cut, because Final Cut, let's be honest, could be its own episode. <laughs> All right, and to be honest, though, I haven't had that much experience with with the uh, Final Cut 10. Uh, I think my limited experience by using Final Cut was with the uh, Final Cut 7 version, and still it was uh, kind of uh, during a summer camp, so it was still kind of... Uh, the uh, people of the summer camp was like, oh, click there, click that. But obviously, they were able to tell you, like, you know how timeline-based timeline, timeline based editing works, so have fun. It's just more complex. Right. But before we get into that, let's keep talking about iMovie. So iMovie 09 and 11 were really the big updates that started bringing back a lot of the functionality people were missing from old iMovie. Um there really isn't anything from the old versions of iMovie that is missing nowadays. So that is really, really cool. But it's also very clear that the user interface that they used for iMovie 08, iMovie 09, iMovie 11, and I, let's admit it, the current versions of iMovie sort of transitioned over very naturally to the iOS version of iMovie, which was announced alongside the iPhone 4 and was originally uh, was also updated for the iPad 2. And, um, I mean, they've come a long way. I'm, I haven't really used the iOS versions of iMovie recently. In fact, I plan to soon, uh, to give them a fair shot. Uh, last time I used them was like when I got my iPhone six, I think like Hmm. two years ago, basically. Um, and it was basically the same app, except it had added transitions and added stuff, but it was... I think the biggest complaint I have about iMovie nowadays is that they are trying so hard to push you into these custom iMovie themes that it's become very hard to do anything that isn't themed that actually looks good. So iMovie ships with a bunch of themes like 
uh, worldwide trip theme or a fake news theme or stuff like that, which are basically just styles you can apply to titles and transitions that make them look a certain way. And this gives a uniform look to your videos. The problem is if you use those, basically anyone can tell you use iMovie because everybody else who uses iMovie uses those, those, those themes. So you don't want to use those themes. You want to do something generic and do it yourself or base yourself on the simple theme, which is the easiest to play around with to try to get something that doesn't look exactly like everything else. Um, and I think iMovie for iOS, it pushes the themes way too hard, where it's really, like, not easy to make a title that isn't that isn't exactly the title that came stock in, in the theme. I'm not even sure if it's entirely possible to do it, to be honest. I would have to play around with it quite a bit. Um, uh, on iOS, I don't think they have kind of an empty project one but uh if i recall correctly it's still available on the mac i think there is one i I think you can go turn off basically you can say like on or off the theme specific stuff and basically you can choose simple and turn off the theme stuff and you basically have like an unthemed project the problem is you have so little control over the positioning and all that stuff for those things or the fonts that Effectively, it ends up looking like a very, very generic theme is applied instead, which isn't really what you want. Um, but I think like the workflow that, because if you remember like where iMovie 08 came from, it came from this idea of first cut. You're going to do rough cuts with this that you're going to pipe into Final Cut. If you look at iMovie for iOS through that lens, it's probably the best version of that idea so far because it's even simpler than the Mac version to actually get your stuff in there, do your quick edits, and then get the project out so you can work on it on your Mac. Um, the part that bothers me as a convert to the iPad Pro is I would rather just have the full editor right there on the iPad and not have to go to the Mac to actually do those fine-tuning things. And I know people are going to say the Mac is a better platform for that kind of high productivity work and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And it's cool if you feel that way, but I disagree. And I would still rather do it on the iPad. I mean, we edit this podcast on the iPad and we get pretty comparable results in a comparable amount of time. And I have no doubt that with some proper UI reworking, you could do the same for video editing on the iPad. And I would be very interested in something like that. No, and I I think the main argument for iMovie 8 and the more recent version is Apple wanted to say, like, you have videos, you have an hour because people are busy. They want to spend one hour to do the best video they can. And if you think about that, iMovie excels at that. And especially those, like, simple projects. You drag all of the files in the boxes where Apple has decided... Okay, you put this type of video there, this type of video there. And I think in the latest version of iMovie, iMovie will analyze your videos and do it for you if you want. It could pre-populate with the content you have, specific boxes, because imagine... That's if you do the movie trailer. Oh, if it, okay, if you do so, the movie trailer. Yeah, I should probably explain that feature for people who don't use iMovie. Um, a couple of years ago, they added this feature called movie trailers, which are kind of cheesy, but I guess like to dads like it. 
And uh, like, th- since that is the core audience of Apple products these days, judging by the jokes in the keynotes. Uh, it's, <laughs> let's be honest. It's yes, cheesy a bit, but it's on the cute side in most cases. Yeah, I mean, if I had kids or whatever, it would be a fun feature for that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's sort of weird to expect that adults would do something like that. It's a little cheesy, but whatever. Uh, it's your choice. Um, and basically they have this music that was scored by the London Symphonic or- Orchestra, which is super pretentious and movie-like. And they have these, um, this storyboard that's already planned out where they say, use this kind of shot in this part of the video to make it look the most authentic to the movie trailer format. And it can analyze your videos and just basically tell you like, here are the clips in your library that match this kind of shot. And then you can just drag them in there. I don't think it automatically does the whole trailer for you, but it can at least like tell you which ones are similar to what should go there. Oh yeah. yeah. So uh, you, I think you might be right about like, it's kind of a like nearly kind of automatic mode, but it's like need... here are all of the close-ups that you can put in the close-up box. Here are all of the group shots that you can put in the group shot box, etc. Right, exactly, and it will kind of uh, select those based on which type of movie trailer you've decided. Because in all of those presets, you can have like a, an action movie trailer, like a romantic comedy uh, action mo- uh, movie trailer. Sorry. And like a dramatic one where something's a bit, maybe a bit more sad. Uh, so they, they kind of are able to kind of get cues in the video you film and apply those and group them. And okay, this one should be in K, in, in box A and this one should be in box two and this one should be before the uh, credits of the trailer. And then it's you t- from you to choose and that's it. That's all I've got for iMovie for now. I want to come back to iMovie a little later when we're going to talk about our usage of uh, video editing software nowadays. But first, we sort of have to talk about Final Cut. Um, So I basically have 15 to 20 minutes of experience with pre-Final Cut Pro X, which makes me maybe not the most qualified person to to talk about pre-Final Cut Pro X. Um, But part of the reason I never used Final Cut before Final Cut Pro X is its interface is sort of a clusterfuck. <laughs> it was inscrutable. And I mean, it sort of shows that it was X macromedia employees that made this app because the UI is sort of a big fucking mess. Uh, you, um, you did understood that it, at that time, what you had in Final Cut Pro was dumbed down and they then they created Final Cut Express. And then they dumbed down Final Cut Express to create the old iMovie. So you could see the family resemblance between those three products. Yeah, maybe and Final Cut Express is more what I was looking for. I never actually had a chance to play with it myself. Yeah, and um, but I think the way Final Cut Express used to work was it's the same UI, just less feature on it. And a yeah. bit less powerful. But it was kind of the full-on UI experience of what Final Cut was. And it was like completely... Yannick is saying it was completely a mess. The way I remember it is it was taking these like typical let's edit a movie on a timeline workflow and add everything a videographer wants on the UI to make his life or her life easier. Which I mean, it was like uh, it was comparable to Avid. I can't speak for Premiere because I have no memory of what Premiere looked like at the time. 
Oh, prom- seriously, Premiere? Uh, because at that time when I've used uh, Final Cut a lot uh, during a summer, I also looked at Premiere and it was jarring the comparison between Premiere and Final Cut at that time. I don't know which one was kind of the kind of half brother of the other, but it seemed to me that the plays the same control around the same region on the screen just that one had kind of like those uh, graphite look on the mac and the other one has like the <laughs> windows xp look so it, it was kind of crazy the resemblance between those two products i didn't know if it was working the same and it was like the same shortcut the same workflow to do specific transition to import a custom transition from other like through other software but if you were to put two screenshots one besides the other, the only difference would be kind of the OS skin on top of those software. And then you'll say, okay, this is the one running on Windows. Well, you could assume that Apple made a Windows version of Final Cut. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I guess we should really talk about like the interesting part of Final Cut. I mean, like Final Cut, I'm sure it was a competent video editing suite beforehand. But for... For people like us, I don't think it was really appealing because it was really just trying to cater to professional videographers. And that's not what we are. We want to do simpler things, but we want them to look good. And that is something that iMovie really excelled at. And it's something the Final Cut Pro 10 really excels at. Yeah, and I think I think that's why previously they created Express. They kind of knew that most of those, uh, most of, uh, of the, like, pro people that want to do uh, video work that are not videographer want some of those pro tools but don't want to pay a for the big price of the last the license that it used to cost and b want all of those like multi-camera setup feature or like any like cinema or tv studio feature that those software add so as far as i remember final cut express was really like Dumb down was kind of somewhat easy to use ish, but it was still like kind of the migration step going from Express to the real Final Cut. Final Cut was not that charring compared to Final Cut to Final Cut. Yeah, um, I remember being very, very excited about Final Cut Pro 10 when it was shown off at whatever it was a video convention, but I don't remember which one it was. It's probably an AB. Yes, um, what does uh, on is there one in a a B or A? There's another one, but I don't remember what the initials are. But NAB is National Association of Broadcasters, which would sort of make sense for video related stuff. And um, it's in New York, if I recall. I think so. Um, they basically also tend to tie up uh, Final Cut Pro user group meetups to those events. And at that meetup, Apple made a presentation, which is sort of strange because it sort of becomes a news story whenever Apple presents at at events that aren't theirs and they basically unveiled final cut pro 10 and if you watch the video from the audience perspective people were cheering like crazy people were throwing their panties at the stage for final cut pro 10 this was the god application that everybody was waiting for until it launched (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, the hype was real, and um, I think that people like us were much more hyped than, well, no, I think everybody was hyped when they saw that, they just didn't know what was missing yet when it launched, and they assumed that all of the features that they cared about would still be there, which was not the case. And I remember our discussion uh, 
when it got finally introduced and when they did demo of it at this uh, convention, we were just like child in front of a mountain of candies. It's just it was crazy what you could do and how easy it seemed that you could do that. Final Cut Pro 10 is the software product that Apple released in the last 10 years that I'm the most excited about. And I am uh, not even comp- a vi- no, I'm serious, and I'm not I even know. a video editor by trade. Oh, actually, I should correct that. Technically, it hasn't been the 10-year anniversary of iOS yet. So maybe I should leave iOS 1 like that was a huge wow factor, but then second place Final Cut Pro 10. Okay, I'm happy that you kind of corrected that statement because that was a bold <laughs> one. It's like, ah, maybe not. I really was kind of wowed by Final Cut 10, but come on. Um, so I have a sort of, well, I should explain a little bit what the interface changes and what the app changes were because unless you actually were paying attention to video editors at the time, you probably have no idea what happened <laughs> to Final Cut Pro 10 because nobody cares about Final Cut in, la- in large sense unless you're a video editor or a huge Apple nerd, which we are. Um, basically, they took the interface from iMovie 08 and they added a bunch of professional features on top of it. And that's what happened. A lot of people called it iMovie Pro. Uh, I think that name is justified, but I think it's not a derogatory term. I think it's a positive term. And my pet theory for why iMovie basically, well, became the inspiration for Final Cut Pro 10 is remember where iMovie 08 came from. It came from this idea of you've just come back from vacation. You import all of your footage. You want to spend... 20 to 30 minutes making a video of your vacation for your family. And iMovie is able to do that. Final Cut was never able to do that because it was trying to aim for much, much bigger things. And you have to remember that the video uh, landscape at that time was changing very rapidly. People who were making videos were no, no longer videographers necessarily. Like YouTube was starting to boom at that point and all that stuff. You had digital SLR videography, which became huge. And now you don't have as much people relying on huge cinema cameras and red cameras and all that stuff to make their videos. They're using 5D Mark IIs. Um, so that entire landscape was changing. And I think that Apple, they wanted to adapt to that reality. And they said... We are embarrassed that iMovie is a more productive tool for video editing than Final Cut. It's not capable of of ah, it's not capable of as much. So we're going to boost its possible uh, uh, boost its functionality until it's capable of pro caliber releases, and that is basically what they did. And I think I commend them for basically throwing everything out and starting over and making this radical change. That by the way, the entire stack in Final Cut is entirely based on. Uh, GPU acceleration, which the old ones weren't necessarily. So now you finally got these machines like the Mac Pro, rip the Mac Pro, um, rip the Mac Pro, which hasn't been updated since 2012. But in theory, if Apple oh, come would on, be releasing come on. 2013, 2013, sorry. Uh, but in theory, if Apple were to release new Mac Pros with better graphics cards, like Final Cut becomes that much better because of the choices that Apple makes about their hardware. The caveat, of course, is it's also screwed because of the bad choices that Apple has been making about its hardware. You can go read my blog about my complaints about that. Um, We don't have time for it today. Um, But I think the app itself was fundamentally much, much better than what Final Cut Pre-10 was. Um, Of course, there was a tremendous backlash because people who were using this to make like theatrical movies 
there were features missing from that release that they basically it broke their workflow. And the other thing that they really screwed up during the launch, and I admit this as a point of failure, is they didn't keep Final Cut Pro 7 on sale or available for a while. So if you have a new editor coming onto your team and you need to get them to work on a Final Cut 7 project, well, too bad because the Final Cut Pro 10 import is a one-way import. You can't go back to 7 once you've done it. And you can't buy new copies of 7, so you basically have to pirate Final Cut Pro 7 to get your new editor to finish working on the movie you started working on before Final Cut Pro 10 was out, or you have to migrate to Final Cut Pro 10, which isn't mature enough to actually do everything you need for it to actually finish your movie. So there was this really screwed up launch of Final Cut Pro 10. But if you look at the actual product and ignore the botched launch, I think that it is a much superior product to anything else that Apple has released in video editing uh, ever, basically. Um, you know what? Right now, it, it has been, what, five, six years now that uh, it has been released? Yeah, it's five years and, today. Uh, okay. Well, not today, but like this year. Okay, good. Uh, but I get your point, but I don't think it was potch. It's not atypical from Apple to do what they did. It's like, welcome to the future. Here's the future. Forget about the past. You live in the future now. Okay, and that's it. I, I agree with the statement. They tend to do that on consumer before pro, though. Fair, but they... <sighs> like, look it at the one-port f- MacBook. They're not telling MacBook... Pro users overnight, like, hi everyone, remember that pro laptop you really liked? Here's the one with a shittier processor and only one port. Have fun, bye. Like, Fair, they might do that next month. <laughs> I exa- don't know. A, exactly that point. And B, if you look at the power books of what, 10 years ago, and even like some of the f- initial MacBook Pros, there's some stuff that is now missing and that people are still lamenting. That will they would want from the current MacBook Pros. So you kind of write by saying yes. Uh, in some other like Pro lineup, they were kind of more conservative. But I think it's just maybe the need of those lineup. But still, if they they would want to push it as far as they can, and maybe for this example, they push it too far. But it doesn't sound to me that it was so atypical. Obviously, everybody was crying out loud and making a fuss about it. But right now, if we talk about it and if we've seen all of this update track that they've done to Final Cut to bring those back those features, I think people were kind of more were crying, were a bit of crybabies at that time for that. And I'll keep your points by saying that they kind of did screw up the communication part too. Yeah, it's like Xbox One level of screwed up communication. Oh, totally, totally. I think if they had communicated already at the launch, yes, we know some features are missing. Expect them to be there in three months. Of course, people would have said, but I cannot do my work for the next three months. That's fair point. But at least they would have communicated that the fact that the old software was no longer sold, that if you require a feature, you're not waiting for it for maybe never. It will come down the pipe it's in the pipe it's in the like software feature train it will be coming don't worry let's all calm down it's coming and go back to enjoying all of the new feature and all of the new workflows that it introduced yeah the problem i think they have now is that the first impression of final cut pro 10 at its release not at its unveiling um was so bad that i think that 
Final Cut Pro 10 basically has a terrible reputation in video editing circles that is completely undeserved, especially now that it has all of its features back for the most part that people wanted back. I think nowadays, like there is no question that it is a superior project a product to Final Cut Pro Pre 10. And I would even go as far as to say that it's better than any of the other video editors out there. Um, but I think its reputation is just so damaged by that initial launch that maybe people aren't giving it a fair shot or just dismiss it as being like that app that basically they screwed up for no reason. Even though like if you actually look at the people who have continued using Final Cut, they have seen much greater product productivity than they did before, which makes sense because that was the entire point. Um, they are seeing well, at the time that the Mac Pros and all that came out, they were seeing much better performance in Final Cut than they were seeing in the other video editing apps on the Mac. Um, unfortunately, of course, Apple hasn't hasn't been keeping up with making the hardware con- continue to be competitive, which is sort of an issue right now. Um, but, I mean, that's another issue, although it does damage Final Cut's reputation. Um, yeah, and I was in the, into, into the impression when uh, 7 was kind of when 7 was in its prime that 7 was the market leader and i don't think sadly that 10 is no and it really it really makes me sad because it's the best product except it's not winning okay uh let's move on to talk about what video editing software we're using if we use any at all and i'll let you start exactly yes i'll be honest these days i i officially think that the last time i use uh video editing software was when I was in high school. Huh. And um, it might change somewhat in the future and might change like in the coming weeks because oh. uh, at the beginning of summer and as of uh, Luca Levy's transition, transition, I um, was supposed to edit some GoPro video I shot at one of my uh, lapping events. Yeah, I remember I, telling I, you, I can't wait to see that. And then nothing ever showed up on YouTube. I know, I know. <laughs> it's a typical uh, me not being uh, being lazy and not editing stuff. Uh, but yes, I have uh, tons of footage that I want to play with. And maybe it will be a good occasion to maybe, uh, I don't want to say like download Final Cut 10 because... Maybe a bit expensive, uh, like trip into memory lane, but still, uh, I have video that I want to play around with and to see. Oh, wait, uh, this reminds me that somewhat recently I was kind of building a demo video for work. And my main objective was to get as kind of a main focus point for the viewer the iPad experience. So it was a screen capture. But I also wanted to show and demonstrate the action that the user of the iPad was doing. So I wanted to have kind of another video inside of it. And you know what? You see that everywhere these days. Like you see the uh, uh, screen capture and then you see the person talking. Like a picture in picture thing? Kind of. Oh, yeah. I think not kind of. I think if you were to do picture in picture, that's what I wanted. And maybe in some parts of the video that the video would swap because the most important part was either the action or what we should on the iPad. And that was maybe for a two-minute video. Did you and do it in an iMovie? I wasn't able to. Because oh, because the features are all there. <laughs> because, oh, wait a sec. Was it because of picture-picture? It's either, it's either I tried picture-in-picture picture and it couldn't swap. Like, at some point, I would want to swap the video sources and didn't work. Or I didn't have 
the flexibility of maybe making it one bigger a bit and uh, I wanted like it to be the picture in picture one be bigger move a bit and all of that stuff and it seems to me at that time that I was like either missing the knowledge and they didn't have the time to get it to for the demo in time or be just not available in that movie so what did you end up using uh we kind of scratched the idea and we did it in live <laughs> i know i know so uh there are a couple hacks you could have used with an iMovie to actually get that to work how you wanted um but like the fact that you have to rely on hacks is not necessarily always the best idea um the other thing is i would suggest if you're trying to do mostly screen capture stuff uh screenflow is really really good for that and i know people who actually use screenflow for non-screencast related things just as a video editing app which is a creative usage of that program uh, i haven't really tried it because i don't really do much screen capture stuff yet but we'll see but i can tell you about this uh, like uh, creating a demo experience that I did remember doing that with fucking iMovie 6 and it worked flawlessly. <laughs> so I was kind of pissed that it used to work in the old version when I was doing more uh, video editing and now with the new version it's been a while since I've played with and uh, kind of didn't add that much experience into that it was kind of hard for me to find it. Actually recently I felt really really old because I was trying to find how to do green screen in iMovie and I couldn't find it and I looked up on YouTube to try to find a video and it was like a six-year-old girl showing me how to do green screen on iMovie and I felt really fucking stupid. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Okay, so as you've no doubt uh, surmised by now, um, I am the greater video editor of the two. Um, Yeah, you have a couple of uh, good experiences these days. You're uh, publishing some video. You did uh, some editing on our the division episode, if I recall correctly, too. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, we had, I think we had two or three vis- uh, video extras for this show, um, over its run so far. And all of those were done by me in iMovie. Um, I mean, some were really, really stupid. Like, one of them is literally just a time lapse video of me editing the podcast. So, literally, all I had to do was record that as a screencast and then speed up the video and add music. And that was it. So, that wasn't really complicated. Uh, the division one was a little more complicated. Um, that required like actual holding a camera, which is not something I'm necessarily used to. And I had to rely on video stabilization quite a bit. In fact, there were certain shots that for some reason or another, the video stabilization decided to just like almost do like a 180 rotation on the video while it was relatively stable on the original video. And I had no idea what was causing it. So I had to go for an alternate shot. Um, So those videos were done entirely in iMovie and I really like the experience. They were done on iMovie on the Mac, I should say. Um I haven't really used iOS iMovie though I am intending to use it soon and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh 3 weeks ago I want to say I worked on a video for Polyphonic Room which yes is a website that I used to do which is dead except big news happened in the Konami uh world and I felt like I had to set the record straight because as usual video game media is very emotional (laughs) about konami and they don't necessarily take two seconds to think about what they're writing and i felt like if anybody was qualified to talk about it it was me so i made a polyphonic room video which is up on youtube which is getting a crazy amount of views relative to literally anything else on my youtube channel except my pokemon battles from 10 years ago and that entire thing 
um, believe it or not, was done entirely in iMovie. And I don't think it looks like a video that was edited with iMovie. And like literally that took me a night. Like I, I came back from work and I worked on that until midnight and it was uplo- uplo- uploaded. So it didn't take that much time to do and it was really easy to do and it looks good. So that is basically what I'm looking for in a video editing app. Um, and I'm really happy to have it gone that way. Um, now I'm beginning to think about a more ambitious project. And this is something I've started talking about publicly this week. Um, and I'm going to go into more detail now. Um, there are some people out there who have this crazy hobby of playing through every single game in a video game systems library and making videos about each one. Um, Jeremy Parrish is probably the best known of the gang because he has like three of these projects going on at once right now. He does Game Boy World where he plays through every single Game Boy game. He has Good Intentions where he plays through every single NES game. And he has Mode 7, which he launched last week for the uh, 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo, where he is playing through at least the launch titles for the Super Nintendo. So he has like these three projects going on in parallel where he plays a ton of games and I have literally no idea how he has that much time. And he makes videos about each one explaining the story that happened during development, showing gameplay footage, um, whether it was good or not, and what the game's purpose was in the lineup for those uh, platforms. And I've decided to start a similar project for the Bandai Wonderswan, which is a very obscure handheld that was released only in Japan by Bandai and has a ton of anime licensed games that have a ton of Japanese text, which makes them less accessible to people in the West, which means that it has a terrible reputation for just having like no standout games because nobody can read half of them, basically. Um, so I had this genius idea of saying, well, there's only 198 Wonderswan games. So I'm going to play just through all of them. Yeah, just 200. That's cool. There's only 198 Wonderswan games. How hard can it be? Yeah. Oh so, my goodness. So I've ordered a Wonderswan. Oh, you did? <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, it shipped today. And oh I am going to be starting a series. Uh, so, I want to do it on a regular schedule because what I have found out is I am very good at releasing things on time if there's a regular schedule, as you can tell from this podcast, which releases every second Sunday and on my blog, every Monday I blog. Um, so I want to set a set schedule. The problem is I have no idea how much time it's actually going to take to do videos on these games because they are of wildly different genres. Like a puzzle game isn't going to take as much time as a JRPG, which may take a lot, a lot longer. And clearly, I don't need to play the entire game from one end to the other to actually be able to make a video about it and explaining its context within the Wonder Swan library. But I do want to play like a representative amount of the game uh, to actually be able to talk about it because otherwise, like you're playing it for 30 minutes and then basically saying it's terrible, even though you haven't really played it much. Um, so, in order to gauge how much time these videos might take, I'm going to be starting a trial run, basically, of the first four launch games. Well, the four launch games, basically, uh, which is a puzzle game called Gunpei. There's a port of Chocobo Mystery Dungeon, which was a JRPG. Um, There's Densha de Go, which is a train simulator. And then there's some pro wrestling game. (laughs) There has to be a train simulator in that list. Of course. I wasn't going to do it if there wasn't a train simulator. 
Um, there is a total of two train simulators on the Wonder Swan, by the way, out of 198. So that is like more than 1% of the game's library. <laughs> Which is wonderful. Um, so yeah, I'm working on that. And I am also trying to be super ballsy and do the entire thing entirely on the iPad Pro. <laughs> well, Whoa. Okay. Well, yes. excluding the video capture, because Wonderswan basically has no options for TV out. There is one French guy who made a TV out board for his Wonderswan, and it's the only one that exists in the world. Um, so unless I pay that guy like a ton of money to make me a TV outboard, um, it's not going to happen basically. So I have to play them on an emulator, although I do also want to buy the games that I actually enjoy on the original hardware so I can play them on my lunch break at work. Um, and I'm going to be capturing the video for that, of course, on a Mac because technically you can't really do that on an iPad because emulators aren't allowed on the app store, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, there are ways to get it on there, but you still have to capture the video and the video capture is not really going to happen on the iPhone or on the iPad. But I want to do the entire editing, uh, the visual design of the thumbnails on YouTube and of the custom titles I do and all that stuff. I all want to do that on the iPad, thanks to Pixelmeter and similar apps. And I really want to try to make the entire thing on the iPad. And we'll see how that goes with iMovie for iPad or if I get really frustrated and buy another video editing app on the app store, which may also happen. Hmm. I'm quite surprised and interested by your journey uh, of your, that will be your experience of doing all of that workflow uh, on the iPad. Yeah, because I don't really use my Mac anymore. Like I use it for, oh, I get that. I get that. Yeah. I've been sort of a dick recently because <laughs> you keep telling me about like, uh, we were talking about Vesper, which is dying basically tonight, I think. I think they're turning off the service yeah, yeah, yeah. tonight. Yeah. Um, Vesper is John Gruber's notes app, which was not really a commercial success. And they are shutting it down tonight. And one of the things they said is, well, we should have done the Mac version first. And as an iOS purist, I doubt that that would have changed much. But, uh, I mean, they're not going to prove me wrong because the thing is over now but yeah yeah and you're right but still like i get your point that it's these days i think i've started to become a bit like you like uh, my iMac at home is dusty and not getting used especially since the since i move i think the main usage of it is to record this podcast we don't go into that run again but still uh so that's why i, I will think that this will be interesting to uh, see and get updates in future episodes. Um, I mean, I'll be able to point people to the actual videos I've made, probably, so that would be cool. Good. Uh, maybe I know you plan to do that on the iPad Pro, but how, how was, was it to choose that compared to maybe like do it on Final Cut? Because like you mentioned, you do love Final Cut. So the first thing is... Final Cut costs a lot of money, and this yeah. is a project that I basically don't even know if I'm going to have the passion to go through the entire thing, because 200 games is a lot of games. Um, and I don't even know like how long it's going to take me to get through all of the games. Um, part of why I want to do a trial run is not only to determine like how much work is necessary per episode on average, but also if I can see myself repeating that another 50 times, basically. Um, so if I decide to go through the project, maybe I'll give some more consideration to 
actually getting proper video editing hardware. Like maybe I can do something like a Patreon where people who are actually passionate about this console, which is honestly very few people. I mean, I think I've talked to the, like the six people who care uh, about this project (laughs) already. Um, But like, if there's interest, maybe I'll do a Patreon. And if that money adds up, maybe I can buy video editing software that is more advanced than what I'm doing. But honestly, I don't think I'm going to need that because it's all video game footage. Really? It, I mean, like, there are going to be basically transitions once in a while. There are going to be static image, uh, like, slides once in a while to actually, like, illustrate historical, like, graphs or stuff like that. Or just, like, images that I want to show. But it's not, like, rocket science. And that's sort of why I don't really need uh, Final Cut Pro Ten, Which sort of leads me to where I was going with all of this is, I think, what the original vision for video editing software in the digital hub strategy was was people are going to make videos of other people and other experiences they've had together and want to share them with their friends and in practice if you look at like what the most watched video content on the internet is it's mostly people playing video games and that sort of doesn't really translate well to final cut pro 10 because most of the time you're just making quick cuts or transitions between clips that already exist um, and I know, like, big Destiny YouTubers uh, in the Destiny YouTube scene who use iMovie for everything they do. And, like, you can't really tell. I didn't even know until they said it on a Q&A episode once. Um, oh, and sometimes I think, I think I'll correct one of your statements is I think the most type, the most watched videos are videos where people watch people doing things they don't do. Oh, like unboxing don't... toys? <laughs> I don't know, like like I told you, like I watched shit ton of car videos where it's people driving cars. And oh, and, and I've started doing or... that too uh, recently. There's a blog post where I basically link to this guy on YouTube who goes on really long drives on Japanese highways and posts yeah, but, the videos of like his three-hour drive in 5.1 surround sound HD footage. And you're like, what the fuck is this? But like, <laughs> I can't stop watching it. It's so good. But my point being is, if you're able to find a place where you do video where people can experience something they don't have the time they don't have the money they don't have the energy they don't have the physical capacity whatever if you are able to share an experience that some other people are not able to you're kind of not bringing big money but at least you're bringing eyeballs yeah. to your videos yeah and you're right by saying that people that are bring tons of eyeballs to their videos sometimes just use like super duper easy software like iMovie and any others like simple video editing app you'll be surprised how frequent that I do hear those like jam tracks and those like audio sound that were included with iMovie and any other like audio and video editing software made by Apple like you recognize those at some point you use those and people use the same five like popular ones that everybody loves yeah. So you know when some people use iMovie, for example. And then you look at those the other videos and you just start to realize that people can do stupid stuff. Like, it's surprising. <laughs> when I say stupid, it's like you're, you find yourself stupid not understanding how they do it with a software as simple as iMovie. It's just like it boggles your mind. Yeah. All the stuff they do. And sometimes one. you just want to do something with very modest not overproduced presentation style and i think like 
the tools to do those kinds of videos are all available for you in iMovie. You might have to fight iMovie for a while so it doesn't use its stupid theme things. Uh, but once you actually figure out how to turn that stuff off, you can do quick cuts. You can do quick crossfades that look good and don't scream, I use iMovie. Or like you don't have to use the flame or page flip transition for every single clip change in your video. You can just do a simple crossfade and it gets the job done and you don't want to over edit your videos just to be wow because often it just comes out as really cheesy and i think if there's one issue with imovie and other things like that is it tries to go for the whiz bang wow factor too much with the themes and all that stuff and i think a lot of people could just use a simple unthemed video and it would be just as effective and less cheesy over time that's pretty much what I had about it, except I do want to do a tiny aside about Keynote, which is not video editing software, but bear with oh, me. Okay, I'll bear with you, but I'm surprised a bit, so let's do that. Okay, so this is a secret I learned on a podcast called MacBreak Pro a really long time ago. MacBreak, as you may know, was a series of podcasts done by Alex Lindsay of the Pixel Core. Uh, one of the most well-known uh Subseries of that was MacBreak Weekly, which is still running, and I think reached episode a thousand last week um, on the This Week in Tech Network with Leo Laporte. Um, but there was there were a couple other subseries, and I think it's not MacBreak Pro; it's MacBreak Tech, uh, which was basically a really video nerd slash data storage nerd version of MacBreak Weekly that aired for basically like. 12 episodes maybe uh like they had an entire episode on like how they made the greatest software raid ever <laughs> and it was like a three-hour podcast about software raid um okay so if you are crazy and insane you could go back and listen to that podcast one of the episodes was absolutely eye-opening to me and it's how to use keynote as a low-budget version of motion which is an old final cut studio uh tool that used to exist for motion graphics okay okay i see where you're going with this a bit left field but continue yeah if you want to do custom visual design stuff like fancy trans uh, well not transitions because well you can technically do transitions too um you can do crazy shit in keynote just by giving your slides a green background and green screening stuff in imovie <laughs> Like, you can create custom titles in Keynote way easier than you can in Motion. In fact, like, these people were trained in how to use Motion, and often they would just go do custom titles in Keynote because it was easier. And if you have the background in a color that you can key, you can basically just go into iMovie, drop the clip on top of your other clip, use green screen, and you've got a custom title in iMovie, no effort required. Uh, previously, before, like, people discovered the super life hack... Um, your only way to do custom titles was to use Quartz Composer, which God bless Quartz Composer. It's one of the greatest apps of all time, except it's not easy to use at all. <laughs> like that is its primary defect is Quartz not Composer. Easy is a, not easy is polite. Yeah. Let's say this way. Quartz Composer is one of the most powerful free applications included on the Mac. The problem is you have to know how to use it. And basically no one does, um, except people who work at Facebook, apparently, um, Quartz Composer is basically motion, except with an interface targeting like programmers on crack. Uh, <laughs> that is what Quartz Composer is. 
And that used to be your only way to actually get custom titles and transitions into iMovie. Um, the life hack, of course, is just use Keynote, which is really easy because it's made for people to make simple presentations, set the background to green, export that as a video, and then key the green out. And congratulations, you've got custom titles that were really fucking easy to do that you made in Keynote. So mm. that is a life hack. Uh, it is a life hack that has paid multiple times in my life before, and I just want to pay it forward and share this super crazy life hack with our listeners in case it could be useful to them. And people I have shared this trick with have also had their minds blown and have thanked me for it. So, yeah, that is the ultimate life hack to video editing on the Mac is use Keynote a lot. Good. And I'm sure you'll be able to either have kind of one of those like like, uh, website reference that like will teach you how to do it. And I'm a step by step. I don't know. I'm sure you have one of those. I mean, I could link to the six year old girl who used who showed me how to do a green screen and iMovie. (laughs) Good, because I will be glad to have I'm tons sure. of views. I'm sure our listener will also be uh, interested on that. Yep. Good. So after all of this uh, discussion regarding a movie, it's time to wrap it up. So you will be able to find all of the show notes for this week's episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 48. You can also find our backlog of episode at limitlesspossibility.net. The Podcast is also on Twitter at at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can also find myself on Twitter at at Lucanouche. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Yannick at Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. Good. And in two weeks, the rumor, no longer rumored Apple event will have been done. So I will leave it there. Oh, wow. Hey, come on. We won't break a, a limitful tradition. We always talk about those events. We will again. Until the time we don't. Oh, come on. That's <laughs> not a tradition anymore. If we don't. <laughs> I'm going to break tradition one day when it's going to fall on my week. See, the the lucky thing for you is the events always fall on your week. Fair, fair. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs>